It's great to see everybody. Uh, a lot of the people I've talked to that are back this semester, you, when I've said to you, you know, are you glad to be back, you've had like, oh, I'm so glad to be back. So, you know, I don't know what happened exactly, but I'm kind of happy whatever happened, happened. And uh, it's brought you back with maybe some enthusiasm and some uh, expectation of something good that the Lord wants to do in this next semester. I, I really believe this year is a breakthrough year. I believe this year is going to be a year of harvest. Hallelujah. And uh, that God has, uh, God has plans to do something. You know, he that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And, uh, you know, there's a time when God's dealing, God's working, and you go forth and weeping, and you're, you know, you just do what needs to get done, and you're, you're, it's, it can be painful and everything else. But there is a promise, and the promise is that at the end of that process, there will be a harvest. How many are ready for a harvest, all right? I want to harvest in my own personal life. I want to harvest in the ministry of the school. I want to harvest in relationships, in my family, and with you. Uh, I'm just believing that this is going to be a year of harvest, 2019, a really special, powerful time. I'm expecting God to surprise me. How many could make, pray that prayer? God, surprise me. Say, what you want to say that? Surprise me. Surprise me. Exceed my expectation. Do something I, I, I can't even, you know, with my faith, I can't even grasp. God, surprise me. I want you to do something fantastic. Well, I want to talk to you today about the idea of receiving from God, and some barriers and issues that keep us from receiving from God. You know, over the years, I've been involved in leading uh, different ministries and starting different ministries. Basic, many years ago, basic college ministry, the first ministry I started after leaving the school. And, and then uh, we started a ministry called Mobilize to Serve that held conferences and seminars for single people. And literally thousands of single people across the nation were impacted and, and affected by that. And, and uh, then we had other, uh, you know, just other uh, the church here on campus, we built that and put that all together. God's done some tremendous things. And in each of these situations, I have had to be able to hear from God, not just for me, but, for example, even in leading my family. I had to know, I, what, God, what are you saying? What are you, I had to be able to receive. You know, you can only give what you have received, right? If you don't receive anything, you have nothing to give. You have nothing to pour out. You have nothing to put into a situation. If you don't have a word from the Lord, you have nothing to give strength to people that are around you. So, so the, what I want to talk to you about today is over the years, I've come to realize there are certain principles in setting yourself up to be able to receive from God. How many of you want to receive from God? Okay, you're getting ready to go into prayer week, right? I mean, what a terrible week that would be if we don't receive from God, right? It's like, you know, I, I want to I receive from God. But it doesn't just happen automatically. There are, there are things that can get in the way. There are things that can hinder my ability to get what I need, whether it's to get what I need as a husband in my family and uh, to bring leadership to my family or whether it's to get what, what I need as the pastor of the church I'm leading or to get what I need as the head of the Bible school. I have to have a word. i gotta, I got to receive from God. And so I want to talk to you today about some of the barriers, some of the issues that God has to deal with and help you with 
part of why you're here. He's going to help you. So by the time you leave Elam, you're going to know how to receive from God, and you're going to be able to bring that into impact in your family, in your ministry, in your businesses, any place where you exert an influence. Okay, so in your notes, you should have had a little, did everybody get a note-taking guide when you came in? If you didn't, just lift your hand up, and I'm sure ushers will help you. Just lift your hand up if you didn't get one, okay? And the ushers will, will uh, help you out. So, so first of all, in your notes, number one, okay, first thing that's really going to be really helpful, really significant, number one, to receive from God, I must deal with the obvious sin in my life. Psalm 66, verse 18 says this, If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. This doesn't mean that we have to be sinless to receive from God. That's not what it's trying to say. When I regard sin in my heart, it means I make a place for it. I give up the fight against it. So, so get what I'm saying here now. He's not saying uh, if you're going to hear from God or, or you're gonna, uh, uh, you, God's going to hear your prayers, you're going to have to be sinless. Forget it. That's not happening. We're all, we're all, we know that's not happening. But what, what it's saying here is this. If I regard wickedness, if I make room for, if I make a place for wickedness in my heart, he says, then the Lord will not hear. God's not going to allow you to go passive on sin in your life. The process of fighting sin develops us. As people, it shows we love God more than our own comfort because it would, you know. But what happens to us many times is we experience a false peace. Let me explain to you what I mean by a false peace. So let's say I have an area that I'm battling with in my life. Maybe you've had an area... Uh, I've got, I've had many over, over the years, but it, uh, an area where, you know, you said, okay, uh, th- th- you know, that's it. I'm stopping this. And then you do it again and you fail. And so you go, you go, okay, okay. And you, 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 you come back, you get stirred up again and, and you, and you say, okay, okay, I'm going to, you know, walk with you, Lord, in this area. I'm going to deal with it. And boom, then you fall again and then you fall again. And this process gets repeated over and over again until you come to a point. Now, how many of you know when God's dealing with you about something and you keep doing what he's dealing with you about, it doesn't feel good? You know what I'm talking about? The guilt, the feeling of failure, because we're all convinced if we really buckled down, we could stop it, but we can't stop it. And, we, and, and, and it just makes you feel. And so what happens is sometimes with people is they reach a point where they, they say, okay, okay, God, I've tried 50 times to quit this. I've tried 50 times not to go down this path. I failed every single time. Here's the deal. You're going to have to take me the way I am. I'm through fighting against this sin. I'm through wrestling against this sin. Here I am. If you want me, here I am. You're going to have to take me the way I am. And when I quit fighting against that sin, when I make a place for it in my heart and in my life, there's a peace that comes to me. It's not the peace of God. It's the peace that comes because I've given up. I've surrendered. Does that make sense to you? Right? And so, so the Lord is speaking to He says, if you regard, if you make 
room for, if you make a place for certain sins in your life, if you stop the fight, the fight was never a problem with God. You know, he's made provision for you so that you can fail and you can get forgiveness and you can get a new beginning and you can keep, keep fighting the battle. He says, but if you regard sin in your life, if you just kind of say, well, look, this is the way it is, uh, you know, I mean, there are, you know, classic areas we deal with, you know, uh, a lot of times pornography, for example, might be an area, you know, okay, no, no, I won't, I won't, boom, and I fall again, boom, no, 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 no. boom, I fall again. In this world we live in right now, I mean, pornography is like, so it's like poured out all over the place in every situation. It doesn't take you two seconds on YouTube or whatever else you can stumble into whatever you you want there. But if if the if I I if I come to the place where I go, you know what? I'm through resisting. I'm through fighting. I'm through battling. I'm through uh, with this kind of stuff. God, I'm just I, I failed so many times. I'm just embarrassed to even think about it anymore. And I, I just am not gonna I'm not gonna deal with this. I'm just gonna have to give this up because I can't improve. I can't get any better in this area of my life. If you regard sin in your heart, if you make a place for it, he says. The Lord will not hear you. You have got to fight. You've got to reject. So how do we fight? What do you do if you've got something that you're trying to deal with, okay? What do you do when, to fight it? You, first of all, you confess it to God. Many, many issues can be dealt with simply between you and the Lord. You confess that thing to the Lord and God gives you some kind of insight. He gives you a deliverance, and you break free from the thing, and, and life goes on, and hallelujah, you know, good, good things have happened. How do you know if you need to do more than just confess it to the Lord? The way you know is if confessing it to the Lord doesn't work. Right? If you confess it to the Lord, but then you keep on falling in the same thing over and over again, it's between me and you, Lord. You keep on falling over. Then you know just talking to God about this isn't enough. So then we move on to the second level. What do we do? We talk to a person of leadership in our lives, a person of influence in our lives. Some of us are really happy. We sit around and we finally, you know, kind of we're with a group of friends and we, we finally just say, you know, oh, you know, I'm really struggling with this issue or I'm really battling with this. And we think, oh, I'm so relieved. Well, that's okay. That's good to do that. But you really, if you're fighting against it, you want to create accountability in your life. And accountability doesn't happen simply with equals. Accountability really happens with people who are over you in the Lord. And so you go to somebody that's over you, Lord, you say, look, will you hold me accountable? I want to battle with this. I want to deal with this issue in my life. I don't want to keep fighting in this kind of thing. And then the third thing you do is you study others who have broken free. Right? So whatever problem you're battling with, other people have already battled with it. So there's you know, no temptation, but it's such as is common to man. There's nothing you're facing that other men and women have not faced. So you find out, okay, who has faced this kind of stuff? If it's a drug addiction, if it's a sexual addiction, if it's a what? Who has faced this kind of stuff, and how did they find any kind of a victory? So you, you talk to, uh, to those people. Uh, either as people or many times they have written articles or books or different things like that. And then, and, and then you come to the final thing. And the final thing is this. I commit to the fight. That is, I will never 
make peace with this thing in my life. That is, as long as this continues, and I know it's not of the Lord, I don't care if I have to get on my knees a zillion times, a thousand million billion times, I don't care if I have to cry out to God and say, forgive me one more time, I am never declaring peace with this issue in my life. It is my, if it's my fight for a long time, if I have to deal with it for a long time, it doesn't matter to me. I'll continue to battle against it. I will never make peace with this issue in my life, right? When you do that, when you don't regard sin in your heart, that sets you up to be heard by God and to receive from God, to have communication and connection with God. So you thought it was your perfection that set you up. You thought it's me being successful that sets me up to be heard by God. That's not what sets you up. What sets you up to be heard by God is your commitment to the battle. That I believe God is going to finish the work that he's begun in me. And I don't care if I fail 10,000 times. I am going to believe God more than I believe my experience. I'm going to trust in the Lord. I'm going to keep on fighting with this thing. I'm going to keep on moving forward. And when I do that, when I keep on fighting, when I keep on battling, God hears me. Your, your failure does not block you from being heard by God in any sense of the way. He's made complete provision for your failure. But what he can't make provision for is your quitting, is your surrendering, is your regarding sin in your heart, making a place for sin in your heart. Does that make sense to you? You with me? Okay, okay, number two. To receive from God, I must make room in my busyness, in my busyness. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Um, let, let me just say to you, you know, some of you, as you come here to the school, you will feel like this is as busy as life can possibly get. You, I mean, really, you, you come in and you're, you're going to go, I cannot believe this. I've got work I have to do. I have homework I have to do. I have to go to classes. I have to go to chapels. I have to go to student ministries. I have to, some of you who have never thought about time management, you, you know, in the last semester, those of you that, those of you that are brand new, forget it, you're overwhelmed right now, but the, in the last semester, you have been working, working, you know, trying to figure out what, you know, what in the world is going on. And, and, and so there's a busyness. And so one of the things that we do, and of course this is in life in general, the truth is it's very hard to accept, but as busy as you feel that you are right now, it actually does not compare to what you're going to face when you actually live, live life outside of this place. This is, this is, as busy as you are right now, when you start negotiating having children and family and, and work and church involvement and, you know, you are, this is, you're like on vacation, right? But the reality is for you, because you haven't developed the muscles yet and the strategies and the time, you know, how to pull the, for you, this is like unbelievable, right? It's like, what, they, how they just, I can't believe they're asking me to do one more thing. What is going on in this, in this situation? And so the first thing, and of course it's in any season of life, but the first thing we have a tendency to do is to jettison our relationship with God. That is, we, uh, because nobody can see 
your relationship with God, your tendency is to think, I'm going to work on all this other stuff that's visible to people uh, and myself, and, uh, and I'm going to give up on this relationship with God. But the thing is, God refuses to be fit into your life. He demands a place of priority. He just refuses that. You know, it's like me. You know, everybody at the school has got so many jobs to do, the people that work there. They have so many jobs to do. But every once in a while, I will walk into a person's office, and their whole world goes upside down. Why? Because as the president of the school, I demand priority when I talk with them. Which means that they may have had a whole agenda for the day. The agenda is right out the window right now. They had all kinds of plans. They had all kinds of things that they were thinking were going to get done and stuff like that. But when I walked down the hallway, everything went out the window, right? Why? Because in my position, I'm a, you know, the boss of the place. In my position, I, I, I demand a priority. I know you have things that you're working on, but I need to talk to you right now about this issue. And we need to go after this thing. Uh, or I've got some special thing that I want accomplished. We need to put this at the top of the heap. And all of their priorities get rearranged when I show up. Well, if you think I'm demanding, you ought to hang around with God. When God walks down the halls of your life, forget your priorities, forget your schedule, forget your agenda, forget everything that you want. He demands a place in your life. My wife demands a place in my life. If my telephone rings and I'm in a meeting and it's from my wife, you think I'm going to hit don't answer? It doesn't. I just tell everybody. I say, look, my, when my wife calls, she goes to the top of the heap. Okay, whatever, whatever is going on right now, if my wife's, excuse me, boom, okay, honey, what do you need? All right? I'm in a meeting, but what do you need? I want, you know, I want to get what you're, you know, she knows and she, and she wants to know that when she calls, she is first priority in my life. Well, that's exactly the way God is. God wants to know he is first priority in your life. Okay, you got a lot of things you got to get done. But when the Lord taps you on the shoulder, when you have set a goal that you were supposed to spend a few minutes uh, reading the word or making your way through your, your, your Bible uh, app or whatever, you know, you, you cannot just jettison this stuff, right? Now, does that mean you're going to do it perfectly that every day you, you know, my wife is perfect. She reads every single, you know, every single day. I'm perfect at finding that catch-up button. Do you know what I'm talking about in the... Do you know what I'm talking about, the catch-up button? Catch-up button is if you've got your daily devotional, that you press the button and it catches you up to whatever day you are right now. And you're, so I'm always starting over, you know. But, but, I, but I, keep, I, keep, I keep going at it, right? See, I keep doing I keep on giving God that place and that priority in my life. Okay, number three. To receive from God... I must be conscious of my need for God. This seems like a simple thing, but it's really important. Because you say, Revelations now, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, 
you don't know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, you would think to yourself, isn't it better for me to see myself as basically a pretty good person, you know, with all the emphasis we have on self-image and all this kind of thing. But he's coming in here and he says, look, he says, here, you have a problem. The problem is you don't see your need. And because you don't see your need, you see yourself as uh, rich and wealthy, you know, and you don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself. See, you're not going to buy any of this stuff from him if you already think you're okay. This is a big problem we face here at the school because most of you are really stars at your local churches, right? You, you were like the, you know, I mean, the fact that you even have a heart for ministry, that you're coming to a Bible school, that you want to establish Christ as center in your life, whatever you do, business or whatever it else. The fact you, you're like, whoa, a hero. You know, I mean, you're, you're like a young little spiritual giant, you know. And you come out of your little spiritual giant situation and you come here and you look around and you go, I'm not a giant here. You know what I mean? I'm just like one of the crowd. You know what I mean? All, these people are all, a lot of times people will come to school and they'll want to quit because they'll go, I'm not like these people. These people are like good. You know what I mean? I don't, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I can't cut it with them. I don't think I'm going to be able to make it because they seem like they do the right things all the time and they act the right way all the time. And of course, that's just an illusion. But it's not until you come to the place where you realize I have a need. You know, uh, in Luke 5, 31, it says, And Jesus answered and said to them, It's not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. See, it's not until I come to the place that I go, I'm sick, that I get a physician, that I get help in the situation. He says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If we got a school full of righteous people, forget it. Jesus is on to the next place. He's looking for a, a school full of people that are going, I am poor, I am blind, I am needy, I need something more than what I have. I, things can't be like this, right? He, need, he, he needs people who are in a place of hunger and thirsting and desiring, not people who are like feeling pretty complacent. Hey, like, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about this. You know, I, yeah, I, you know, they wanted me to do this. Well, I did it. You know, I'm doing good. You know, you should have seen my cube last semester. I, you know, I'm okay, right? Forget it. There's no, you're not going to receive from God unless you're at a place of need, desperate need. Picture the blind man at the side of the road. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. People try to shut him up. Be quiet. Don't, you know, what are you saying? The flesh hates it when there's desperation around when people are desperate, the flesh cannot stand that. It's, it's just like, Jesus, help me. Just Can you just settle down? You know, you, you're like a little crazy. You're like a little radical, you know. You know just, 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 you know, the flesh hates desperation. What does desperation look like? In your notes, I'll just tell you right here. First of all, you don't care what anybody thinks. 
When you are desperate, you don't care what anybody thinks. People can think I'm a religious nut. I don't care. People can think I'm a hypocrite. I don't care. Uh, The people who you feel a little competitive with, you say, you win. I don't care. I'm not going to. I have a need right now. I'm desperate. I need something to happen. I don't care what anybody thinks. A second thing you can see about the desperate is you are shameless in your cry for help. You are shameless. You're not controlled. You know, people say to you, I could you quiet down? You know, why? You, you, you are not polite. You don't care whether it fits in. You are shameless. You cannot be shamed into stopping. You, you're desperate. You need something to happen, see? Something has got to break, break through. Uh, and the third thing we see, the desperate person, you make those around you aware of your need. I know a person is serious when they start confessing their need to people that can actually help. Not just for sympathy, but they start going to people who are over them and they start saying, you know what, I am battling with this and I am not, you know, not just talking to somebody who's kind of at the same level as them. That's okay. That's good. Be mutually encouraging and strengthening and sympathetic. That's That's all fantastic. But if you want help, go to somebody, go to a physician. Don't just talk to other people who are struggling with the same things you are. That's great for you to get a little feeling of, you know, okay, there's some camaraderie here and other people are going through what I'm doing. But if you want help, go to somebody who's won a victory or two that can teach you how to do battle in the area that you're dealing with. Okay, number four. To receive from God, I must be committed to harmony in my marriage. And this is even a little broader than marriage, but I think that's an important place for us. You're, you, you, look what it says in 1 Peter. Your husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, now he sums it up. And he, he, when he sums it up, he makes it broader than just marriage. He says to sum up, All of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. You were called by the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing, right? Very popular. He says, sum up, let all be done harmonious, you know. In relationships, it's a funny kind of a thing that can happen. Uh, You see this happen in marriages and roommate relationships and things like that. Sometimes people, instead of being being harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, instead of not returning evil for evil or insult or insult, is a lot of times, you know, some of our best images of family and friends have been what we've seen on TV. And so we think that the banter of relationship should be like a sitcom. You know, I bring up some little witty cut to you, and then you bring up some little witty cut to me, and, and, and we're just witty back and forth, and isn't it so funny, and all this kind of thing. And, and, and we, we try to live our lives in a sitcom kind of rhythm instead of this rhythm which he is describing, which is be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. And instead, we, have, we feel like this feeling like we've got to, you know, kind of have a little, you know, be able to 
jibe a little bit and have a little comment coming back and forth. And, and many times we're leaving behind us a wake of woundedness. And there's sarcasm that's going on that's painting people and hurting people. And, and we're not even, you know, we're just leaving behind us this, this, this wake behind us of, of people who are negatively affected because we feel we've got to have the last little witty word, the little humorous comeback, the, the little thing happening there. To receive from God, I must be committed to harmony, especially in my marriage. The context of this passage is husband and wife relationships, but the the principle extends to parents and other people. When a person begins to separate their marriage or family from receiving from God, it signals that their marriage, family, and their relationship with God are all in tough shape. I cannot go from fighting with my spouse to standing up here in the anointing. If I think I'm going to like blow my wife off and then I'm going to get up and be move and, and move in the spirit of God or the power of God, I, I, I'm missing what the heck has happened. And let me just tell you, let me just tell you right now, you cannot be miserable with your roommate and then run into the prayer room and be the woman of God in the prayer room. It just doesn't work that way. You know, he lays it out for, for us here. You know, to sum, uh, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humbled in spirit, returning, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. If that's the nature of your interactions, he's saying, you, you, how can you possibly move in the anointing? How can you move in the spirit if your relationships with the people around you are broken? When someone says to me, my husband doesn't like it, but I follow God, not man, I know right away, whoa, we got a problem here. My wife feels it's wrong for me to be in this ministry, but I'm going to do it anyway. We got a problem right now. See, some people see their spouse as the enemy to the will of God. Basically, they see, you know, it's like their spouse is opposing them. As they, instead of realizing that God gave you your spouse, God gave you these people, because they have something to contribute. And when the two of you are working together, you can find clearly what the next steps are and where things are supposed to go and how things are uh, uh, supposed to progress. This is, a, this is a key idea. If you think you're going to be a, the, the hero, the man of God, the woman of God, and you're going to blow off your family relationships, you're going to just, you know, well, that happens at home, but here I've got the anointing. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Number five, to receive from God, I need room in my life for the word of God. I'm not going to talk about this very much because we're at a Bible school. And I think you're going to have room. You're going to have more room in your life for the Word of God than you ever thought would ever happen to you. I'll never forget your precepts, for by them you have revived me. There is no real revival apart from the Word of God. We don't need the sermon. Uh, sometimes you'll hear people say at church, "We don't need the sermon. We just need the anointing. We just need worship and prayer." You know, we should just be we should just be uh, just getting in the presence of Jesus. All we need is the presence of Jesus. So I'm going to tell you right now: you need the Word of God, and grow, you need to grow in your knowledge of the Word. Okay, number six: to receive from God, I must purify my heart 
from double-mindedness. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Now, when I first read that passage, I thought that what made a person double-minded was indecisiveness in their mind. That is that, that, okay, I've got two issues, and I think, well, here's, you know, here's ten good reasons why this is a good thing to do, and here's ten good reasons why this is the good thing to do, and I can't decide which of them is the right one, and so I'm double-minded. That's what I thought the source of double-mindedness was from, was from that kind of thinking. But then I went on in the scriptures, and I found out that that is not the source of double-mindedness. The source you find in James 4, 8, right in your notes, he says this, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And so I came to realize that, no, double-mindedness is not caused by an intellectual problem. It's caused by a heart problem. And the heart problem is you have a divided heart. You have two loves. You have two loyalties fighting for the same life, right? This is what, if I have God and money, and I love both God and money, I become a double-minded person. If I can offer you money to do something God doesn't want you to do, and you would consider biting in on that, that's what makes you a double-minded person. God and money, that, that I'm double-minded. It's not an issue of, well, you know, here's God, what about him, and here's money. It's an issue of, two, it's an issue of the affection of your heart. Two loves. What do you love, God, or do you love money? Right? How about this one? God and my boyfriend or girlfriend. Am I going to, am I, if, if my boyfriend or girlfriend could get me to do something that I know God does not want me to do, it means I have an idolatry happening inside of my heart. I have two loves that are going on inside of me. I have the love for God and the love for this, this person. And these things are competing with each other. And God refuses, he refuses to have a divided heart in his kingdom, he just says, he says, this, you have to prioritize your loves. There has to be one love, which is the supreme love, which every other affection or interest of your heart bows to because of the one thing. You can't have a competing. He says, when you do that, you become a double-minded person, unstable in all of your ways, and you get, you, you get knocked out. Now, here, here at school... We've seen it many times, you know. Well, let me tell you a story. You catch, catch, catch a picture of what I'm talking about. So uh, nice, uh, they were actually graduates of Elam, nice couple. Uh, the guy wants to marry the girl, and they really, you know, love each other. And uh, they go down and visit the family in Florida, and he comes back to me and he says to me, the family hates me. Right? They go visit the family. The father hates me. 
They don't want me, her to marry me, and I don't care, he says. We're going to get married anyway, and we'll just blow them off. We won't have anything to do with them. We're just going to get married. And so I say to him, I say, okay, buddy, here, slow down a little bit. I said, uh, I said, what about giving a little time to see if you can win the family over? Right? How about we give it a year? Now, you might think to yourself, you know, at this season of your life, you think to yourself like a year. It's, oh, it's like, oh, 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 you know. It's like a year. Unbelievable, right? But when I'm comparing it, I'm going, when you marry her, you're going to have to deal with her family for the next 50, 60 years of your marriage. It's better if you invest a year to win these people over, right? than to go into 50 years of, you know, every time you come over to the house, they want to see their grandchild. Every time you come over to the house, they're like, oh, hello, hello. Hi, Bill. You know, you, know, I mean, you, know, you, know, you don't want to be in that situation. I said, so why not invest a year? And so, thank God, he listened to me, and he pulled back, and he invested a year, won the hearts of the family, and they went on and got married and are married to, to this day and are doing a fantastic thing. Okay, here's the problem. Here at school, uh, you may, you know, look at somebody. Oh, it's the one. I'm convinced this is the one. This is it. And at the school, we say to you, okay, well, it very well could be the one, but not this semester. You're going to put this on breaks for a semester. There are some things that we want to see work themselves out here before we ask you to, to, before you move forward. Now, listen, I'm telling you right now, I have seen people quit school, uh, totally abandon all of their, every value in their life, basically, everything they've invested in, abandoning their financial investment, abandoning, they, they have given up everything because they wanted what they wanted, when they wanted. They, there was no submission in their heart to what anybody thought or, or to putting a break on the thing for three stinking months. They were just going to do what they felt was the right thing to do in the time that they felt it was the right. And who are you? President Kavanaugh, to have any kind of voice in my relationship, who was obviously the one, right? To receive from God, I must purify my heart with, from double-mindedness. You got to make a decision, you know, basically where you're saying, you know what, I put God above everything else. I put God and his will and doing what he wants above everything. And I'm going to trust that if we put this relationship on hold for three months, that the, that, that the reality is if there's anything of value or worth there, it will survive. It will survive. And we'll maintain a harmonious relationship with the leadership. We'll maintain a harmonious. I, I, I will bow my will. I will bow my way. I, I, why? Because I have one love on my heart. 
The number one love is Jesus Christ, him only. I'm following him. I'm doing his will. He sent me to this school. If this is the rules they have at this school, then I am gonna, I'm going to work with the rules they have at this school. And if, the, if they say to me, you can't, you know what? You are so whacked out. We don't want you relating to anybody at this school for the next three years. You are like, you are like a disaster getting ready to happen in people's lives, right? And, and, and we say that, you say, you say, you know what? God called me to this school, and he is the number one love of my life, and I will not relate with anybody, connect with anybody, do anything if you're telling me that that's what needs to happen. Now, we'd never ask anything like that. But the point I'm trying to make is there has to be a place of surrender and a place where you have prioritized. You cannot have two loves where you have prioritized the love in your heart and there is one thing that dominates and you, you know. And you know, if you got relationship things happening and stuff like that, we just talk. Don't, you don't hide. You know, the worst thing that can happen is hide. When you hide, the moment you hide something, it becomes a festering sewer where the enemy just goes crazy and just does all kinds of things. Get the thing right out in the open. It may not be as bad as you think. You may think we were like, you know, forget it. No way ever. You know, you talk with us, we may be like, yeah, we could work something out with you. Let's do such and such. You, know? you don't know what's going to happen, right? I can tell you what will happen. This is you go to the dark, nothing but weeds grows in those places. You go to secrecy. You want to kill a weed. You dig it up. You knock the dirt off the root and you lay it out in the sun. And that will kill that weed. That's the only thing. If you just, if you just pull it part way out, that weed just comes right back again. It just, it not, the only way to kill it is to pull it up by the root, knock the dirts off the, off the root, lay it on the sidewalk in the sun. That weed is dead. will never come back again. It's over with, right? Always better to be in the light. Okay. I just felt such a sense today that as we go into this semester, I needed to say these things to you that I'm saying to you right now. And uh, I just want to take a moment right now. Would you just bow your heads and your hearts before the Lord? Would you do that? And I want to ask you, Is there a sin that you have stopped fighting? Last semester, did you allow busyness to push the Lord out? Have you thought that, you know, hey, I'm supposed to have a good self-image, and you thought for you to focus on your need was somehow taking you down in some way instead of realizing it was going to be the source of the answer for you? In your mind, have you somehow separated your relationship with your roommate from moving in the anointing? Did you separate relationship with your family from moving in the anointing? Did you separate, those of you that are married, relationship with your wife or husband from moving in the anointing? Have you allowed dividedness in your heart where you haven't taken the time to prioritize the loves that are in your heart? Yes, you've got multiple loves. 
That's okay. I have loves too. I love my wife, but my wife is number two. I love my, my children, but my relationship with my wife is number two and my children number three. I, I, I have multiple loves in my heart, but one love dominates. I, I like money, but it's down there. It's a love that's down there. Jesus. If any of these issues, you know, we're getting ready to go into prayer week, everything. If there, if there are issues that you, as I was speaking, you're going, well, this, this relates to me. It's like, whoa, he zeroed in on me on this one. What was that about? You felt like the Holy Spirit pricking your heart, dealing with you, speaking to you. I want you just to lift both your hands in the air right now where you are. I ask you to do that because it's, a, it's good for you to take some action if the Lord is speaking to you. It's good for you to humble yourself, acknowledge the Lord is speaking to you. Lord, all around the room now, our hands are raised, and we just are humbly acknowledging our need for you in these different areas. Lord, we want to receive from you, not even just for our own sakes. We want to receive from you because you made us influencers in the lives of others. We want to receive for you for our, for our future families. We want to receive from you, Lord, for our ministries and callings and the things that you... We want to be able to receive because we can only give what we've received. And we ask you, Lord, this semester, you will not allow us to escape from any of these issues. That you will deal with us, you will work on us, that you'll make us the people that you want us to be, Lord. And we don't, we don't say it begrudgingly. We say it to you. We want it, Lord. Do what you need to do. Work inside of us, God, to make us those men. And Don't waste one moment of living here at Elam. Don't waste it, Lord. Deal with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.